Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us a spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. For if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making the appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know how many of you can remember a month ago, um, I spoke about how to evangelize using the uh, analogy of the story of Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish. 
and we looked at our methods. Maybe Jesus is calling us to step out from the way we've always done things. There's a right way, and obviously there's a wrong way in, in Peter's eyes, throwing the net over one side. And uh, Jesus said, actually, I want you to do it differently. You know, are we always doing things the same way? And is God calling us to do things differently? We looked at our harvest field. Are we missing what's right under our noses? Jesus said, throw it out on the left side so the net would go under the boat because that's where the harvest was. And I'm so excited about this initiative with Matt and Laurie because it's about, you know, looking at the harvest that's right under our noses. And then we looked at our language. You know, how we speak about Christians, how we speak about the church, how we speak about other churches. You know, does it encourage other people to join with us? And are we honouring God in it? Well, this month, I want to look at what motivates us. And I think there are three things from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that I'd like you to see. Firstly, in verses 9 and 10, uh, Paul speaks about uh, making our, our aim to please him. And verse 10 speaks about appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. And, uh, and, and Greetus uh, spoke and used the phrase about the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is our first motivating factor. Um, but what does that mean? Because verse 10 says that we will all stand or appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And I was quite interested that we had a split screen and, and I think it was Greek. I'm, I'm, it looked, it's Ukrainian. It's all Greek to me anyway. But, uh, <laughs> it's Ukrainian. Okay. But that, that judgment seat, I'm going to come back to the Greek, because that judgment seat isn't the place where we're judged for what we've done in life and then punished for it. Not at all. It's Jesus has done that already. He's paid the price for our sins. And those who put their faith in him are set free from condemnation. The seat, or the name, the Greek for the name of that seat, is the Bema seat, B-E-M-A. B-E-M-A, the beamer seat. It's actually the place, you go back to the Greek games um, and the athletes or the, the wrestlers or whatever else they were doing. Um, those that won their event would go to receive their reward. And the place they received their reward from was the beamer seat. It wasn't the place of judgment, but it was the place of reward. And in chapter 3 of, of 2 Corinthians, um, Paul talks about everything we, we've ever done will be tested by fire. And he said those things that are, are straw and hay and, and wood will be burned away. But those things that are gold and, and silver and precious stones will remain. And I wonder what this fire is going to be. You know, is it some kind of sort of holy furnace that will sweep through us all? Revelation 1 
says that the eyes of, of God are like fire. And maybe God will just gaze on us from that place. And all the dross will dissolve. And the gold and the silver and the precious stones, those things that we've done for him, they'll be put into our crown. And we'll receive that crown from the Lord. But it's not for us to wear. We're not going to be going around heaven saying, look, I've got five gold, you know, um, precious stones in my crown, you've only got three. No. Just as the elders did, we will offer our crowns to God. Because he's done it all. You know, he has earned those things. It, it'll be something that we can lay at his feet as an offering. Now, I'm, you may want to um, question that theologically, but it's just a picture I have in my head. I'm not saying, you know, that's exactly what's going to happen, because we don't know. But my picture is that God is going to present me with my crown, and then I'm just going to offer it back, because he alone is worthy of a claim. You see, if we're in, in Christ, we should never be afraid of God. You know, the fear of the Lord is not a fear of him hurting us, but it's a fear that we might do something to hurt him. Many, many years ago, when Jan and I were fairly newly married, I did something playing around that actually hurt her. Um, she was making the bed and the, the quilt was on the floor, and I crept up behind her, threw it over her, picked the whole lot up, and slung it onto the bed. If you watch WWE wrestling, you know, it's one of those type slam dunks. And then I heard a crack, and a body was laid very still on the bed. And I got a little bit uh, worried, to say the least. Eventually, I heard a groan, and I thought, well, at least she's not dead. And, but Jan's had an issue with her neck ever since, because she landed on her neck, and it could have been horrible. You know, my fear isn't of retribution, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm big enough, I'm a rugby prop forward, and you know, I'm, I'm quite a powerful person, I used to be, in those days at least. But my fear is doing something that could hurt her. And the fear of the Lord isn't about God punishing us because Jesus has taken punishment. The fear of the Lord is actually, you know, I don't want to do anything that would cause him hurt. So firstly, the fear of the Lord. It motivates us in our, our service for him. Secondly, the love of Christ. Verse 14 Paul says, if Christ died for all, all, I'm part of that all. So he means if Christ died for me personally. And that's the same for every one of us. We sometimes think of those kind of verses. Well, you know, Christ died for the whole of creation. And, and we, don't, we don't look at it and take it personally. You know, we see, yeah, he died for, for create, the whole of creation. I, I was at a, um, went to a service a couple of weeks ago. We were on holiday. And uh, we were in a friend's church up in 
um, Southern, which is up in Nottinghamshire. And uh, the guy, he was a guest speaker, and he said, and he, he was talking about um, the inerrancy of Scripture and how we need to stick with Scripture. And uh, he said, I went to a funeral the other day. He said, it's quite a big funeral. And he said, the congregational minister took the funeral. And I suddenly twigged, because I knew who it was, um, because I come from a congregational background. And it was a close friend, well, a guy I knew well, who had suddenly and suddenly, uh, sadly and suddenly died. And there was this big funeral and uh, in the church in... Um, New, um, new contract, yeah, and um, and he said, and during the funeral, he said, I, I got really worried because this guy basically said that because the death of Christ paid for the whole of the sins of the world, then people are going to be in heaven who never wanted to be there; they won't have a choice. And quite rightly, this guy cited it as someone who hadn't actually follow what scripture says um, and it, I was embarrassed because I knew the guy who had been speaking not fortunately not well um, I, I just wanted to curl up and thought no that's not a good example of what you know, most uh, ministers in that organisation believe but you know we so easy can look at something and just generalise it or actually it's personal and Jesus said, whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. Not, I've paid the price on the cross, so whether you like it or not, whoever believes in me will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So, he died for us personally. And he did it so that we can live for him. Paul says, uh, in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So what he's saying is, while I'm here on earth, you know, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to do everything I can for him. You know, when I get to heaven, yeah, I'm going to be better off because there's no better place than being with God. There's a much better existence waiting for every one of us. But while I'm here, I have a purpose. Our purpose is to die to self and to live for Christ. We've been set free from a self-absorbed existence. 1 John 4.10 says, in, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word of propitiation means to appease, to reconcile, to bring us back into relationship with God. Jesus has done that. You know, it's not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And so our motivation doesn't come from us loving God, but it's actually the realisation that he loved us and he took our punishment on the cross, onto himself in our place. Over the last few years, I'm led to believe that many clergymen have left the ministry, not just retired like I, I got to do, 
but they've become frustrated and burnt out. Why is this? Why is it that so many have just given up? You know, I've gone off to be a milkman. I, I was with a guy in, um, so visiting a chap in hospital the other day, day and he, we were chatting about different things, and he said, I, I used to be a, 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 an Elim minister. He said, but I don't do that anymore. He's still a Christian, but he, he just, it was just too much. Why does that happen? And I'm not saying it's true of that particular guy, but for many, it's because they operate in their own strength. There's a story in, in Leviticus 10. It's a, a bit of a strange story. Two of the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and they decided to do their own thing. They, they, there was a, a big celebration. They, they'd been an, a, anointed for service. And God had come down and they put things on the altar and the fire of God had burnt it up. And there was a fire on the altar. And, and they were supposed to use that fire. But it says that they offered strange fire. And um, in brackets it says unauthorised. They decided they weren't going to do, use what God had given them. They were going to use their own thing. And they paid the price. They weren't just burnt out. It says they were burnt up. They died there and then. Because they didn't do and didn't use what God had given them to use. And I started to wonder what could be strange fire today. In terms of our motivation, what could be strange fire? Perhaps it's a need to be used. You know, not to serve God necessarily, but to serve ourselves. I, I, just, I need to do this because it's who I am or it's how I get my identity. You know, that sometimes can be strange fire. To feel wanted or to feel important. You know, look at me. You know, I'm standing out here, I'm preaching, I'm doing this and that. You know, if that's the motivation, then I need to walk out the door now. But for some people, they want to be acknowledged. They want to be recognised for their importance. For some people, it's how they get for their fulfilment. You know, seeing the response from people or, you know, people coming up and saying that was wonderful, you know, or, you know, that was marvellous. This kind of thing. It, it's that sense of what I can get from it. But what happens when people don't use us or when people don't need us or when people don't respond to what we're offering? You know, that is why so many get frustrated and give up. I spent 25 years uh, in, in North Street in Taunton. And I'll be honest to say that there were many, many times when there wasn't much response. There wasn't a, a huge revival that I'd hoped for when I first went there. We didn't have a couple of hundred kids in our Sunday school. We didn't have three or four hundred people in the church. 
I'd hoped for that when I went there, because that's what I'd come from in my previous job. I wasn't in charge of the previous church, I hasten to add. But, you know, it would have been easy to be frustrated and to walk away when people didn't want to do what I felt God was saying, this is the vision. But because I knew I was fulfilling God's purposes and what God wanted, you know, it was easy to carry on. Well, easy to get, keep going, not always easy to carry on. You see, unless our motivation is centred on what Christ has done for us on the cross, we will fail and we will fall away. So one was the fear of the Lord. Second was the love of Christ. And third is the joy of service. As citizens of heaven, we get to be ambassadors on earth. And the role of an ambassador is to speak on behalf of the kingdom with the authority of the king. When we speak, it's as if the king was speaking, or in our case the queen, was speaking for us. You know, we get to share the good news of the kingdom. Our sins are paid for. We have been made righteous through Christ. And that good news is available to everyone. That's our, that's our, our, our privilege to share that rea reality. You know, we're ambassadors. We have authority. We should have confidence that we are his people. When we're in Christ, we become a new creation. We're given a fresh start in life. You know, we get a new school book with an empty page. That's what the cross has done. It's given us a blank canvas on which the Holy Spirit can write our story. You know, it's a joy and a privilege to serve the God has, who has done all of that for me and for you. He's paid the price. He's opened up the way. You know, we are now fellow citizens of heaven. We are ambassadors of Christ. We have become the bride of Christ. You know, I've taken a lot of weddings and I've never seen a bride coming down the aisle who didn't look radiant. We're called to be radiant for him. So let's live for Christ. Firstly, because we want to please him. Secondly, because we recognise the love that he has for us. And thirdly, that we see the joy in serving as his ambassador. I want to pray uh, a prayer that was uh, part of the Lectio prayer um, thing for today. I think, is that the right word? But um, let's pray. Father, I dedicate myself afresh to the mission of God. Thank you, Father, that you love the world so much that you sent your only Son. Please help me to love the world with extraordinary generosity. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave up everything and died for me. Please help me to lay down my life for those who don't yet know you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, 
for giving those first disciples such courage and power. Please fill me now with that same boldness this week.